0: Good day. Welcome to everybody. Let me tell you, the weather up here in the mountains, it's um, almost as if the house has probably shifted a couple of feet to the left. The wind has been blowing all night. It's uh, howling. It's a bit cold. It's not exactly freezing, but um, let's go and find out what it's like down on the coast, the frozen wastes of Albea. Good morning, Eric. Hey,
1: morning, Liz. Yeah, it's a bit breezy down here as well, but uh, the storm keeps breaking through. It's uh, Put it this way, it's it's not too bad, really, when you consider uh, the weather in other parts of the world, you know. <laughs> we yeah. did quite well here. I'm not going to complain.
0: Yeah. No, I, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, I, I make light of it, really. Um, but it is, it's, it's, uh, it has been windy, but as you say, you know, when you look at other people and what they put up with, um, okay, well, look, we'll start with the big story uh, as far as I'm concerned, and it was this uh, film of uh, Jackie Charlton, um, which was screened last night. Uh, did you see it first and foremost? I
1: did, and it was fantastic to watch it. You know what I mean? It was. It, 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 well, I mean, having met the guy and knowing very well, it was great to see Jack, but unfortunately, like, the ending part is a. Uh, a bit sad, isn't it? But yeah. it's not just happened to Jack Charlton, it's happened to a lot of people all around the world. Things what happened there and well, the way he was looked at in Ireland, the Irish people, and what he did for the country, it's incredible, isn't it? Well, isn't it nice, is. As I just say, you
0: know. It, it is, and um, I, I mean, obviously, when you've met somebody, you do have a different perspective. Uh, I mean, I, I, I had a rather strange. Uh, meeting, not face to face, I have to say. We'd only just come to the Costa Blanca and uh, we were in a Chinese restaurant down in Altea and I heard this voice and I knew straight away because he had that resonance. He knew it was Jack Charlton speaking (laughs) and uh, he was asking for the bill and he was paying for Menú del Día, which of (laughs) course would be about 5 euros, which was just brilliant. Yeah. Um, and I, I must admit, uh, when Anne and I were outside and we were talking about actually seeing him, you know, we were pleased to have seen him and also very pleased that he was such a down-to-earth guy and uh, felt that the menu del dia was sufficient because, you, you know, these people are so pretentious when they get money and he um, didn't seem to be that way.
1: Jack was, well, it's not a coincidence he always wore his cloth cap ad. More often than not, you know, whether, whether it's to cover up his bald head, I'm not sure. But, Jack, you know, he once you met him and, and you, you realise what a, a good guy he is, he's a, uh, you know, you just treat people normal. And I, I don't know, I, I, re- I wasn't in tears at the end of that programme last night, actually, when I saw him like that. Yeah. You know, because luckily enough, we didn't see him like that. We know him as Jack Charlton. But, um, I mean, funny enough, me and you can talk to Terry White about this, the, uh, you know, we went on a boat trip with him. He paid for it and everything from, uh, like, Altea to Calpe, and it was a, a massive boat. Uh, and and he, he, it was just a, one of the lads kind of thing, you know. He, you, you can't meet people like that. It's hard to come by and, unfortunately enough, he was a big friend of the lad who had the pescador in uh, in Altea, and Brian, Brian his name was, and that's how I come to meet him, and Jack played darts, but he played for him originally. But then when he he got rid of the bar, they come playing for me and Jack Charlton played for me at my bar in Alphaz, <laughs> you know. And he was just so natural, and I'm glad to say I have met him. And he was he once did a, something for me. One of our lads died just before Christmas, and we had a big do for him at Carriages in Benidorm. Yeah. And Jack came straight from the airport, had just arrived, and. It, he come straight to the do and did the raffle for us. And that's the kind of guy he was. He'd not even took his, you know, his, his stuff out of the car. he just come straight in, did our stuff and met a lot of people, did the drawing. You, you can't get much definable up than that. You know what I mean? To, to be as well-known as he is and just turn up, I, I thought it was a fantastic. like but that, that it's just a shame that, that we look back about and we see dementia. And he, he said he didn't remember, the, you know, the Irish things when when he was back in Ireland and yeah. uh, after the World Cup. He said he couldn't remember it when his wife spoke to him at the end.
0: I've just got uh, just to say something, Eric, just to make sure that anybody who's listening in. I want to make sure they know who we're talking about. This is John Charlton, known as Jackie Charlton. Uh, If you do want to read about him, he'll come up as John Charlton. He was born in Ashington, Northumberland, and of course he was the old-style centre-half for England uh, in the World Cup. And, of course, he had his brother, Bobby, who was old-style centre-forward, although uh, not what you'd call a bustling centre-forward, but, you know, we'll be talking about things like this. Um, but, of course, he was part of this great England team that won the 1966 World Cup and managed the Republic of Ireland team uh, later, which we'll talk about as well. But uh, the reason why Eric is waxing so lyrical is is because uh, Eric uh, undervalues sometimes the work he does, which is organise darts and uh, fantasy football. And uh, Eric is telling us about the fact that Jackie Charlton played for his darts team. And this is really lovely history and, and, and it's real life. And... You know, you can read and see people on television giving these plaudits to people, but when you've met them, um, you know, I can tell from your voice just how proud you were that, that he had been part of your life as well. Well,
1: it's just, as I, it's, I can't be repeating myself, but to just know somebody and realise that they are proper people, and sometimes when you see him on television... You've never seen Jack with an edge on him, have you? You know what I mean? He's, he's always been down to earth, as I said, talking about wearing that cloth cap and speaking about singing Blade and Race there. That, that was good in the programme, you yes. know, when all the Irish lads was there. You can imagine it. I mean, there's one good thing which I like about the, the Irish, when you get to any World Cup or European Championship, all the supporters go there, the su- players. There seems to be a camaraderie that England have never seemed to have. England all seemed yeah. a little bit standoffish in my point of view. Now whether it's because of the manager and the FA, I'm not sure. But the Irish kind of give Jack Cart to do what they wanted. You know, they <laughs> go for a pint somewhere and he well known for drinking Guinness and he was just a, a, like a, a, a real figure. Of, he, he was one of us, if, I, if it's possible to say that. I know we've got a few, Bob, but he was one of us, and Jack will always be that. Like, I've got great memories of him, and I'm pleased to say that I did meet him and that he was a, a great bloke. And as I said, at the end of the programme, I, was, I want, I'm not a, a tearful kind of guy, but I, I felt really sorry at the end when we saw him there. We'd, I knew he'd been ill, because over here one of the lads bumped into him in Carrefour, and he didn't remember him. Uh-huh. So I knew... I knew a few this is a few years ago, maybe two years ago at least, uh, and I was asking how he was, and he said he's not too clever, and that was up well before, you know, then we heard that he'd got dementia.
0: Yeah. And
1: his wife always looked after him, by the way. She was on the programme, met his missus, like, and she was really good with him, you know. Uh, she kind of ruined him in some ways. You might not believe it, but, you know, she had a big hole of, on, on <laughs> a bit like most women do with us all, yeah, you know.
0: I think so. <laughs> Eric, um, one thing that uh, you alluded to very early on, which is something that did come out in the programme, and you and I both have lived in this period of time, and also we're both from the north of England, so we can probably speak quite candidly about this, which is basically um, uh, around the 60s, I think people probably would be very surprised, uh, as I was talking to a couple of Spanish people last night, and uh, we were talking about the 60s in Liverpool in the 60s, for example. Um, I, I was in a duo and um, or early 70s, so, so late 60s, early 70s. And um, when, I, when we used to play in a Catholic club, I used to have to stand in the front of our duo so that I could sing the Catholic songs. And then we, when we went to a Protestant club, Um, John Holford who was my partner used to uh, sing the songs you know um, because he was obviously of that faith and of course uh, the reason why I mention this is because Liverpool at that time had some residual problems from the Catholic and the Protestant um, infighting shall we say and when Jackie Charlton went across uh, to become the manager of the Republic of Ireland in 1986 um, there were still lots of difficult times for people who were not from the same um, religious belief, which really is... It's awful to think that even today these things still exist. But he did something special in Ireland, and it came out in the film, didn't it?
1: Well, it's shown you when you went over to uh, Northern Ireland to play that game against them, and you needed to uh, get a result kind of thing to qualifier but i'm not sure i get mixed up now european championships and world cups because they all seem to be following one another these days <laughs> yes and uh he, he went there and he got a result and if you remember when when you spoke about going on the coach on the program last night he had like young kids there like we like not with rifles but we like sticks and like made a movement and one that a lot of the kids went down and the other ones come up behind them like as if they all had guns yeah and can you imagine that as being brought up like that yeah unbelievable that that was the way it was in those days but what you've got to say is that Jack did so much for the Irish people I mean he, he was uh, became one of the Irish uh, whatever they give them you know uh, he came that they give him that and Jack was he, he brought the whole nation together and uh, I suppose, in a way, a lot of people say the same thing about, like, Alf Ramsey, when England won the World Cup in 1966. Yeah. And Jack was part of that team, as you know. But they they have had a comrade ever since that, 1966, whereby they, they used to do go on a cruise together and do after-dinner speaking, and about five of them, and, you know, he's, they've, they've stuck together. And Well, unfortunately, we've not got many of them left now. Yeah. Even Bobby Charlton's got uh, dementia, and... Uh, the only one I, I would say who's, uh, who's staying quite good out of it was uh, one of our, um, I'm trying to think now, Alan balls You, you go through the team, and yeah. I think it's only Jeff Hurst now. Funny enough, he came to Benidorm a couple of years ago, and uh, he, he's still got his faculties, Jeff Hurst. Yeah, Um, it's not easy
0: well just thinking back to uh, there are two things there there was a song that came out Ole, 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 Ole. I remember buying this because obviously I was DJing in the clubs and Mm. um, you know everybody would sing it and and, I mean immediately uh, you'd hear Jack Charlton's voice came in on the record Um, (laughs) you know it, it was like one of those football songs that actually meant something and and the other image I have of of Jack is the fact that he used to be very big with his fishing, didn't he? And yeah. of course he used to go to the south I think, of Ireland to, to to do a lot of fishing. So I I think Probably that might have even been one of the reasons why he was chosen for the job, you know, because the the, the the people that chose him must have been very, very skillful in the respect that they needed somebody that knew football, but also had to be with the people to be able to unite the the people of Southern Ireland plus get a, um, a feeling of you know of pride coming from the north as well, which was was amazing because in actual fact, unlike the rugby union, when you get one nation playing for Ireland in uh, football, you always have Northern Ireland and then you have the Republic of Ireland. So, I mean, he did so much that really was quite unusual at that time, wasn't it? Well,
1: Jackie, as I say. He, 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 the fishing thing, you know. I mean, let's face it, it's probably the most dumb sport in the world, isn't it? Fishing, you reckon? You know. Yeah. So they had to look for somebody who would uh, would appeal to people who was a fisherman, and now Jack was the perfect guy, wasn't he? Because he, he he was down to earth, and I think anybody can go fishing, can't they? I don't care whether you're a millionaire or, or got nothing, and you rod the way you go, and a lot of people like to sit on their bank and fish and think and. And Jack was a perfect guy to do that, you know, to present that program. And it's not a coincidence, like say that program last night was done by the BBC, and he was kind of a BBC guy kind of thing. If uh, it, you know, down to earth, lad, and I thought okay. he did a, a good job with that program. He picked the right guy for it, that's for sure. Okay. But I must, I must admit one thing, though. Jack. This is in the early days when I, I first met Jack in England and he did an after dinner for me at uh, this club uh, and he, you might not believe it I paid him £250 it was and, and now can you can imagine how much he was on you reckon he, he used to go to Ireland uh, not to Ireland to America and when it was an Irish day and they get Jack Charlton over there he could earn quite a few bob and <laughs> all the time I met him over here I used to ask him could he come and do a, a dinner for me over here but I needed like six weeks to present it all and get the tickets out and get the place sorted out. And he could never give me six weeks because he said anything can drop in his lap at any time. You yeah. know, where he has to go somewhere in the world to do something, and he, he couldn't promise me that. But yeah. that was one of the things I'd love to have got him over here. But he was a great, great speaker as well. After dinner, speaker, we're not even mentioned that some of the stories he tells are, are brilliant. You know, about you know, would say. One of the audience asked him at this guy I organised in England, and he said, What about the black book, Jack? He said, I didn't really need a black book. He said, I remembered all the ones who kicked me. Don't worry about that. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and that was, he was that kind of guy. One of, one of the stories he told was like with Al and they were playing one of the teams in the World Cup, and he said, Can I kick him out? You know, I can't remember the centre forward who it was. He said, Can I kick him out? No, no, you're not going to leave me kicking. Go and let me kick him. <laughs> he said, No. You know, like I say, he was in the old fashioned centre half on it. And yeah. as his wife alluded to last night in the programme, whether the number of eddies he did had a lot to do with this uh, dementia, we'll never know because that is something that they're looking into now. Yeah. I personally don't think it was myself because at the end of the day, normal people get dementia don't they and yeah you never get the figures of that no you know, i think you're absolutely right
0: yeah i i i personally think it's a lot more to do with drinking and eating actually um although i mean obviously there could have been an influence i don't think you can oh, be yeah. this you know you, we can't say it definitely isn't but i do think the no. the, the, the the alcohol has got a lot to to really well, you know do, was he a big drinker
1: I've got that but he was one of the lads when it comes to having a drink, yeah. He, he, no, I won't say he'd be falling over or anything like that, but he, he likes a pint, Jack. Well, you, you can see in uh, quite a few of the problems. He wasn't a wine drink like that. He was a, a proper proper lad, you know, he liked to have a pint and all that kind of thing. But he was, uh, like you say, top man. But well, dementia, again, I, I always think... What they've not mentioned about this heading the ball, it's a clash of heads, I think, that was caused the problem rather than heading the ball. How many times do you see two people go up for the ball and there's a clash of heads? You know, and they both go down in a bad way. But I think that's more what would cause the problem rather than heading the ball, if you understand what I mean.
0: And also, I mean, by definition, really, if you want to go down that road, um, then, you know, every single boxer you would expect to end up with dementia because, you know, if you're getting punched as much as a boxer does, it's far more than when you're heading the ball, I would imagine, you know. Um, let's go to a talk now about the relationship between his brother Bobby and himself because, um, you know, pe- people used to always say they don't talk to each other and they didn't really know the detail and what I picked up from uh, what he himself seemed to be saying, plus one or two places where things were written, was that um, he was like uh, probably uh, more of uh, somebody likes to go out fishing and, and maybe doing certain things like uh, maybe that were a bit more social and maybe Bobby wasn't. Maybe Bobby liked to stay at home. Um, I seem to think that there was more of a personality than a uh, problem between the two brothers. I mean, you know, uh, we've got three boys, so obviously... Now and again, something is not quite right between the three, and they see things differently. And we can immediately see our eldest is is much more of a loner. He likes the, um, you know, the solitary sports, and um, he has always been a bit quieter than, say, John, who's uh, totally gregarious. And I think that was something that seemed to be being said during the program last night that they were different types of people, not that they didn't really get on with each other because uh, they'd had a row or anything. Um, Did you get the feeling of that?
1: Well, obviously I know a little bit more about the situation really, but uh, Bobby was really a bit of a mummy's boy, you know, and Jack wasn't. (laughs) Jack was kind of, uh, like you just said, really, out and about kind of thing. (laughs) Whereas Bobby was kind of cuddled by his mother and was like kind of a well... He, he was more academic, if it's possible to say right, whereas Jack is practical, if you can understand what I mean. Yes, but, I uh, do understand. And, and Bobby was just the opposite kind of thing, and that's why... I, but the, the biggest problem was, was when they both got married and they both separated, and Bobby suddenly stopped going back home to his mum and dad-like kind of thing, you know? Right. And Jack could never understand that. Why did it happen? But I don't know. I think being truthful, looking back at the situation and... Knowing a little bit more as I do, a lot had to do with Bobby's missus. You know, I think she controlled him a lot more than uh, probably another mother figure for him, really. You know, yes. I mean? some people need that in life, don't they? You know, where it's only to look after them. And uh, whereas Jack was a more outgoing, and Bobby, you know, got his solitude by being with his missus and not going back to Washington because, as it's shown in the program. They had a big do for the pair of them, didn't they, after the World Cup? Yeah. And all Ashington turned out, it was an unbelievable day, you know, for yeah. them, right, and a great honour. And, uh, well, they both went different ways. I mean, we all know Jack Chart was a downsworth footballer, kicker, whatever you want to call him, real good old centre-half, whereas Bobby was a graceful player who used to play basically originally on the left wing, where he's so brilliant on that position. He, and then he moved him into the centre of the park where he was kind of a, a bit more of a deep-lying centre-forward than a, a centre-crash, as we would call them. Because yeah. In those days, you know, the teams used to set up with centre-forwards and centre-halves, didn't they? They did. Nowadays, you don't got a clue where anybody is, you know, because anybody <laughs> could be anywhere on the park these days. In fact, you only have to look at the numbers. In the old days, it used to be a big number nine against a big number five, and we spoke many times in the past about Dave Vixen and I had Dave Ewing at Manchester City yes. which was like a, a clash of giants watching those games uh, nowadays there's nothing like that in football plus you can't get away with the tackling and, and I'm sure Jack as his mate not long ago uh, Norman Hunter when he died he, he did a programme about Norman Hunter and they were saying he used to just be alongside of Jack kind of thing and not many people went past those two at least yeah. you know what I mean well, they they the old they had the old brigade you know where they you know they they could really get stuck into people nowadays you're not allowed to do that yeah. and the old say
0: that they couldn't manage nowadays in football going to another point uh, which came out in this um documentary that we saw uh, was the fact that he's stuck by players who really needed guidance um there was one particular player uh, who, who had a drinking problem, who was Who, who was actually one of his um, top players in the centre-half, I think he was, wasn't he? The, um, John, McGrath. John McGrath. John McGrath, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you could see from the comment that he made that he didn't just play for Ireland, he played for Jackie Charlton. Um, I think this is the sort of management that um, some managers at the moment are dabbling with. There's all sorts of different management styles. If you look around the the top um, echelon of you know the the managers in the Premier League, for example, um, when you look at Jackie Charlton, to actually have somebody make the comment that he'd almost die for the man, you know, um, because basically he, he had a drinking problem, which having identified that does make it rather strange that he still had him in the team. I mean, obviously the... The possibility and the probability uh, might be two different things, but I was always under the impression that if you did have a lot of alcohol on, say, Saturday, it was still in your blood on Sunday, and therefore, if you were to take a um, breathalyzer, the police would be able to breathalyze you and fine you, whereas this would appear that certain players have obviously spent a lot of their career rather hungover.
1: Well, around about that time when uh, when well, when Jack Charlton was managing, when he was a lot of players uh, there was quite a drinking culture quite a few places. Liverpool had a big drinking culture and when Manchester United used to play Liverpool I mean, I, I can I mean, one of the first things Alex Ferguson did when he went to Old Trafford was break up the drinking culture which I think originally started when, when Atkinson was uh, Ron Atkinson used to be there and and, uh, you know, McGrath and, and Norman Whiteside, they were all like kind of mates. And they all used to drink together. And if you ever listen to uh, Ray Parler, the Arsenal team used to have a bit of a drinking culture where after they'd finished training, they you all know, went to this pub. Not every player, but most of them, like, you'd be about six of them. I suppose if you didn't go, they'd call you a or something like that. You know what it's like, don't you? Yeah. You know, oh, I'm going on. No, no, we're going for a drink. And you get a load of stick for being like that. But what's happened never since funnily enough we're talking about Arsenal uh, people like Arsene Wenger who come in and he put all these players on strict diets and now they've got so many like dietitians and people now. When you go into the football ground, they're all checked right away kind of thing. But in that time, that era when Jack was manager, you know, there was quite a few quite a bit of drinking cultures about mm-hmm. and funnily enough, as I said before, about the Irish team, you, you could guarantee them, you know, that when they had a good result, it would be nothing better than to all go to the pubs together, <laughs> have a sing-along, as you saw in the programme, mm-hmm. and, and have a good night out. And out, As I said at the end of the programme, he said he couldn't remember half of them times. It, it was a sad situation, you know, because nobody wants to be like that. Because oh, the no. one thing you can do in life is cling on to your memories, good times and bad times, you yeah. know. Yeah. And I think that is a key thing. But I'd hate to lose my memories, I must admit.
0: Yeah. Yes. Um, actually, it's quite strange, really, because every now and again I'm with groups of people, and you relate to what I'm saying. Um, and basically, I've always felt, really, that um, I hope people don't, re- don't think I'm a goody-goody because I don't drink a lot. And sometimes I need to sort of just explain. I, I became a judo player when I was 18, and uh, you're not allowed on the mat or anywhere near a mat if you've been drinking and the likelihood is if you, if you do transgress then you'll not be welcome on any judo mat now obviously i also played uh, rugby on the saturdays when i uh, couldn't have a drink straight after because basically i had to go to work straight maybe one quick shandy, and then I was off to to work. And then on the Sundays, uh, I I mean, up 16 to 21, I played serious football and and, and did all my my serious stuff. And then 21 and after, I played with the celebrity teams. And uh, basically, you, you know, it didn't matter if I'd had a few drinks after the game. But that was why... You know, I'm quite disciplined with, with with my alcohol. It's not that I don't like alcohol. It's just basically, um, you know, it was something that I wasn't permitted to do because I, I took my judo very seriously. Um, I think also, I think now looking back, I'm a lot happier that that was part of my discipline um, be, because I think people are beginning to realize, uh, you know, for example, my own sister used to drink a bottle of wine a day you know and the, the 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 health ramifications come up so much later uh, that obviously it's too late for a lot of people to even start to try and change the ways it it's a very it's it's easy to criticize people who get drunk all the time a lot less easy to understand that you know alcohol grabs you and, and you can't get away from it as we know throughout you know history the 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 number of people that have fallen foul of it it's very difficult and when you come to the end of your life as we saw with Jackie Charlton and you've been such a wonderful influence and a good influence in many 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 ways and then you see somebody who looks I won't say broken but certainly not the man that we all recognized it was very it was very sad wasn't it
1: yeah as I say and like you say you I think it was what you said about how emotional he gets now, you know, because he can't remember and he can't do the things that he wanted to do, but I'm pretty sure I mean, obviously I'm bobbing on a bit and, you know, there's things I can't do and you do get a little bit frustrated now to looking back in the past what you have done kind of thing and uh, I'm I'm sure in Jack's case, to have actually been to where he's been, I that's unbelievable, it's bad enough for us normal people, but for somebody like Jack to have where he's been and to be able to look back and then lose at all things, you know, it's just that like you said, it was just a sad situation all the way round. Yeah. but going back to drinking I mean, there's two ways what happens in life, people get to a bit of a crossroads, but they don't know it's a crossroads at the time, because I can remember at school, when people used to start smoking, you know, and stuff like that, and for some reason I never even fancied to have a smoke you know, you know what I mean yeah. and, and when I look back now on my life, I think, well, I mean, that was lucky, that was, kind of thing. And there must be people, not disrespect like yourself, who, through some reason which you didn't realise at the time, never went into a drinking culture. Yeah. You know, kind of thing. Which would have been easy with you being a rugby player. Mm. And uh, I'm pretty sure most of the rugby lads I know, one of the things they look forward to is having a pint after the game. <coughs> Absolutely. And all getting round and passing the jug of beer round, or, you know, the other team sends a jug of beer over and, I know what goes on in rugby, it's fantastic, you know, yeah. Well, that's what makes a camaraderie and why people go on a football pitch or a, or a rugby pitch and fight for one another in that game, you know, because yeah. they're all mates kind of thing. And that's what sport does bring to people, in my opinion, whether it be football, cricket, anything. You know, you, that camaraderie where you're all, I mean, cricket. I mean, I play cricket, I used to love cricket, If I was opening back and then I was out kind of thing, I'd be back in changing room, showered back out at the front and a pint at the bar and I'd be shouting, (laughs) run them up, lads, run them up, (laughs) shouting to the lads who play, that my bit was done kind of thing. And cricket, football, there's always some kind of thing where drinking is involved. And as I just said, some people... If you go home, you say, oh, he's a right big, softy kind of thing, you know. And that's how a lot of people get dragged into it. Yeah. But the best thing for me, or the luckiest thing for me, is that I never smoked, and I've been exceptionally lucky at that, because I know what smoking... And it's over the years, obviously, now because you've stopped smoking a lot of people and the price of cigarettes is ridiculous, you know, what they're charging people for them to, to deter them from smoking... I was just lucky I never smoked, but I know a lot of people who have and found it very difficult to give up.
0: Well, again, you see, I was lucky with the smoke because when my sister would have been, say, about 10, and I'd probably be about 8... Um, she made me smoke uh, the Liverpool Echo with grass inside, <laughs> and I was as sick as a dog. And I never wanted—I never wanted to, to to do anything like that for uh. sh- straight away after that. And then the other incident was in uh, in the picture house when I was 16. My friend dared me to smoke a cigar and inhale it all the way through. All oh, right. So I, I, those two things put me off smoking for life. So I was very, very lucky. Uh, never got anywhere near the drugs. I mean, I, I must appear a real goody-goody to, to some people, but I, it's just circumstantial. I mean, I've just—I was always too busy <laughs> with all my sports, and those were the two reasons why. Uh, although I did go through one period for about a year when I worked in a club, and I didn't get particularly fantastic money, but they gave me the bar on Saturday night. They said anything you like. And, uh, you know, I was a bit daft because, I, I, as I explained, I, I played rugby. I didn't drink. And then, of course, when you're working at night and everybody's whooping it up, you know, um, I had a few too many. Uh, and that was sort of a period, looking back, um, that I probably didn't do me the best of goods. Let me, let me go to our second talking point, because, I mean, much as we love Jack Charlton and uh, it was a fabulous documentary but very sad at the end. Um, There's another piece that I picked in the papers um, where Thierry Henry, uh, the great Frenchman who came to play for Arsenal uh, has been saying that it's time to make a stand against social media racism and um, uh, then he went on to talk about Twitter being committed to kicking it out Um, but he pointed out that between October and December in 2020 so this is during the lockdown, of course, um, Instagram had to deal with 6.6 million pieces of hate uh, written uh, up against people. And I mean, I'm totally uh, with Thierry Henry on this because, quite frankly, uh, you know, we've had the the, the the racism in sport with the Black Lives Matter and everything. Um you see, the trouble really is, uh, in my way of looking at it, is, is you cannot make people like each other. Now, my, my whole life is about liking people. There are, there are very, very few people I dislike. Um, but, you know, when you see the hate that exists between um, people, you see them through the politics and people who would appear to make people hate each other. You know, and then you look at the history and the slavery and all this sort of thing. Um, and social media is not really helping at the moment, is it?
1: Well, these people who are kind of faceless people, aren't they? And this is the problem. I, I personally would never get involved in things like that because of the yeah. fact that anybody can say anything about anybody. And I've known it happen to me, you know, where somebody said something. And it's completely the opposite of what what they've said. But a lot of people are like that, and, and we can't get away from that. But to give them a platform whereby they can be identified, well, can't be identified, but be mentioned in the press or on the television of, of abusing somebody who may be a star footballer or whatever, a, a, a presenter or, or anything, you know, to, that, to give them the opportunity to say what they want about people and having no no truth in it whatsoever is out of order. And I blame the companies who run these situations for not being able to say who these people are, you know, and then we can just go and get them. It's kind of like football matches, the abuse of football matches. You're not telling me they can't find somebody out of the crowd because they all have to buy a ticket and go to the game. And we got the ticket through somehow, haven't we? Whether it's gone at the box office where they go to, like, kind of thing to get the ticket... And, and it, everybody can be found out, but this one with the, uh, well, they call them keyboard warriors, don't they, these people, yeah. faceless people, and they, they come on and say what they want about Fred Blogs or whoever it may be, and I, I just think it's a bad thing to get involved with, and the people at the top of these companies should sort it out and make sure that anybody who comes into their business they know who they are and they can prove who they are and then we can get back to them and find out who these
0: people are but you know there's people spouting so much rubbish um i'll, oh. I'll tell you one very very quick example i was playing my guitar up in cala de finistrat and this girl came over and told me i was a racist and i said <laughs> what are you talking about she said i saw one of your posts on on facebook i said well look I said uh, i'm not racist and um, you know I didn't get cross with her i just told her that that uh, i was definitely not nothing to do with with whatever she was talking about i said you've got to remember that people have different opinions over certain things yeah. as long as they're writing and they're not written to offend people i think everybody's got a right to express a point of view there are certain things I won't talk about because basically I don't want to upset people because I do have quite strong views. And if I'm talking with somebody and I know who I'm talking to and why I'm saying it, then I will talk about something that normally I'll keep quiet about. But but I mean, in, in a general sense, um, to, to talk about racism, I didn't grow up with, with black people. I only had, there were two black people in our class. Both of them were my friends. Both of them, if I saw them tomorrow, I'd be delighted to see them. I played all the Tamla Motown and black music. I loved James Brown's music. When I was DJing, I had loads of young black lads used to come in and we used to talk music and we just enjoyed each other's company. Like you, we've enjoyed so many black sports people, especially with the footballers who can play so well. I think for anybody to come along and talk like that uh, is is just really they don't know what they're talking about. And therefore, that's the problem. You've got an awful lot of uneducated people not only saying things but now writing things and they can't even write English half the time, you know.
1: Well, that's the problem, isn't it? The only (laughs) only thing I will say, Vince, which is something that involves you and I, when we was on the radio, and you you know I, I was... Fanatic city fan, as you know, and I used to always big up Man City and knock down United. Yeah. And there was one particular day after our show, I, I went in the local pub. I remember ian in Charman used to be on the show with us. Well, he had his son, uh, some well stepson, who had a pub in uh, Al- Altea. Yeah. And it, it was, I, I went in there afterwards, and I have just sat at the bar. No, well, not sat at the bar. I was something at the bar. It's only a really small bar, and. Uh, they called a cellar bar, actually, if you remember. They used I do remember
0: it. just side, up the hill you know. on the left.
1: Yeah, and down, down the steps you went Anyway, so I'm just at the bar talking away to somebody, the lad behind the bar, and then he spoke to the bar next to me. He said to me, you're any you, aren't you? I said, yeah. He said, you're on the radio, aren't you? I said, yeah, just come off now. He said, yeah. He said, my missus hates you. And I went, <laughs> you are? She don't like you because you're always knocking Man United. <laughs> And they said, Oh, I'm sorry about that. Explain to him, sorry. I'm just say it's only a bit of fun, you know what I mean? <laughs> Cause the said, and then he said, She's over there, she sat down there. Look, yeah, that's good. So I went over to her, had a chat with her. And because she met me, and and now she knows the way I am, it just shows that it's just the, the persona you, you give out to other people,
0: doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it does. And
1: it- I'll never forget that. And that's why I always thought, you have got to be careful, because people think like, like somebody thinking you as a racist because of something you put on Facebook you know you don't realise what people you, you get into and I think this is a big problem well for people on radio and also a television you, you, people set ideas that they think you're such and such a thing and you're not <laughs> you know we finished up with friends this lady and I and her husband you know we just just through chat he said we listen to you every day out on the patio kind of thing and <laughs> And she oh she goes that oh that elix at it again kinda <laughs> thing. Calling United and like you say, we we used to have some good fun anyway, with Bamps or whatever. We like with Peter Williams and people like that, who we, we you to always go
0: on about England getting easy draws. <laughs> Here we talk about <laughs> Jum- England jumbo size forwards. <laughs> yes, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, but it just shows you
1: you don't realise who's listening yeah. and what effect you have on other people. So you can imagine uh, what it's like for, for normal people on, on, on television. But having said that, and don't forget, when we was on radio, we didn't have these uh, things such as uh, what we would call... Uh, Twitter and stuff like that. And the social it? media.
0: No, it didn't exist. You're absolutely no. right.
1: So we, we, we were lucky in one respect, but it just goes to show... How some people can be. Maybe that lady would have had a go at me if have been on Twitter and something like that. Um, but it's just a coincidence it just have to pop into it. Yeah. Well, I was mortified.
0: I? I was mortified when this person called me a racist because you know. Yeah, I bet you were. You know, that's the last thing I am. I mean, if if somebody happens to be black and I don't like that person. That's not because they're black. It's because they're not a nice person, you know. Yeah. But in a general sense, I don't meet many uh, black people that I don't like. They do seem to be nice people. and. Um, You know, uh, without being silly about it, you you look at uh, very often they've got lovely skin and they've got lovely features. And, you know, I think some of it's got to be a little bit of jealousy. Um, Let me go quickly to uh, something I picked up this morning that I've got to say, if it happened, I would be amazingly happy. Sergio Aguero, um, there's a little whisper that he could be looking at Liverpool. Um, obviously I've seen there's the a Barcelona story but he is a fabulous player I, I would dearly love to get him playing for Liverpool and I'm really surprised that he's maybe coming away from Manchester City because he's played so well for you
1: Well you've got to remember he's been there 10 years uh, David Silva was exactly the same 10 years Vinnie Company exactly 10 years and I think after 10 years whatever job you're in you might think particularly in football, whereby you've got a few more years left and it might be a good idea to just move on. Uh, I mean, everybody's gone about Harry Kane, you know, about moving on now because he'd not won out with Tottenham. Yeah. Uh, but when you've been at a club a long time and you show a lot of loyalty, uh, you know, it's a, a big thing. And in a way, I'm pleased he's going because I, I don't want to see him on the bench like I am at the moment, you know, sat on the bench and not getting on. I yeah. go barming me sometimes. Why is he not putting Aguero on? But what we don't know is what's going on in training. Maybe he's just lost that little bit of zip. We don't know this. And when he's been on for, say, 20 minutes or even when he played 90 minutes the other week at Fulham, you know, he wasn't his normal self. So maybe he's just gone over that cell by day and yeah. maybe, maybe, just maybe, I mean, Guardiola know better than me, that's for sure, uh, that it might be time for him to move on and his contract can has run out and maybe the injuries as well what he's had recently have caught up with him because he's hardly played this year Aguero yeah. so mm-hmm. be careful I'm not going to say if he does go to Liverpool he won't be great for Liverpool or wherever he goes Barcelona I mean, I think the Barcelona one I was thinking about it this morning enough, because it's full of the Aguero the newspapers the blinking television and the radio It's all about Aguero, where's he going to go, what's going to happen, who are you going to replace him with. This is full of news at the moment. But I thought, I don't know who mentioned it, that he could go to Barcelona because Cooman and Guardiola are big mates. I'll tell you that now, they're definitely good mates. When he used to be at at Everton, he used to meet up regularly and go for a meal together with the wives and stuff like that. And uh, the swap, of Messi coming to City and Aguero going to uh, Barcelona mm. the thought of it because none of them would cost any money because they're both out of contract Yeah, it's just a matter of sorting the wages out and uh, I don't know I just thought wow that would be some move wouldn't it I mean, it would be a good swap Aguero <laughs> with Messi I mean, I mean Messi also is at the time of life whereby they're never going to be as good as he was kind of thing No. so it's just a matter of Seeing their time out, and um, I don't know about you, but when I watch Argentinian footballers, they're always tough nuts, aren't they? Oof. They always seem to be able to take knocks. Yeah. You never see them moaning and diving about the place, There, you? you? know, the yeah. Argentinians, ever since the old days when 1966, when Ratting got sent off playing against England, I think, in the opening game of the World Cup in 1966, <laughs> Ratting, you know, we were playing Argentinian, it finished 0 0 i never seen Sennavov, oh, I hate the Argentinians kind of thing. You know, they're right. They tough are you know. tough, toughness. And, we, and we've seen them when we have come to English football. You know, Masquerano, he was at Liverpool. Yeah. And, and Tevez, he was at City. And I, I know the clubs, obviously, both play for West Ham and United. You know, the Argentinians have this toughness about them and uh, it's something to be admired because when we see people, no disrespect to... I'm not going to mention Crumsey's but Teams that come from the continent Premier football, and you see them diving all over the place. And yeah, that's what started it all off, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, I can never think of an Argentinian being a diver. I mean, you know.
0: And you get the, you also get the odd Uruguayan who's quite a tough nut at Oh, it? yeah, well, yeah, another <laughs> one. Yeah, Uruguayan.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, anything from South America, you're going to get hundred percent off them. That's for sure. Yeah. You know, I always think that nah, when you see a player, I've never heard of playing for signing on for something as they say I think this, well I'm not sure there's a lad just signed on for Brazil from Brazil at Brighton he was only a young lad a centre forward he was going to be a cracking player yeah. but he's not played yet but anyway anything from South America but going back to Aguero he's been fantastic for Manchester City his record he's got the best scoring record of everybody in the Premier League uh, uh, per minute per game you know what I mean yeah. and you've got to remember uh, nowadays it, football now is well with VAR. I mean how many goals are getting chalked out left right and centre it, it's incredible isn't it Well, no disrespect <laughs> to Alan Shearer and, and, and Thierry Henry and all them lot who everybody goes on about being the best goal scorers ever well they didn't have to put with the AR and stuff like that you know? true so, that's very uh, it's true gonna that. change. it's going to change you know football mm. and, and things like that and by being offside by a toenail, I mean, how many goals did day score? You know, yeah. I don't know. But anyway, it's just a thought, for which you, you is and put-in-the-memory kind of thing, what's happened when you talk about yeah. great goal-scorers. Right now, at this moment in time, goals are the premium. That's why all these players cost a lot of money, you know, to get a goal. And for, to replace Aguero, personally, I'd love to see him get this halting book. Whether it will happen or not, there's so much money involved. And with the pandemic now, I mean, don't forget City are richer than most clubs, you know. Yeah. So they could actually play whatever. Well, Harlan would probably cost 150 million, which is ridiculous. I mean, I thought it was ridiculous when he paid 90 million for Pogba the other year, Man United. He just. And then that PSG went. Paid two hundred million for Neymar, didn't they? I mean, they did. He, he, he's absolutely just shooting it up so much. But hopefully now, because of the epidemic, what's happened, I hope the money will drop down. But it, going in, what the papers are saying, it don't look as like though it will happen.
0: Well, funny enough, it, I, I do remember when we used to. I mean, I used to always bang on about the immorality of the the, the money that was being paid, and you used to always point out that it's not really the player's fault. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still maintain that it, t- and I always have done, that it would take a cataclysmic event now um, for it to change. And I think that could be uh, what's happening. Eric, I'm looking at the clock. We've got 12 <laughs> minutes left. So Yeah, we have been bit a bit. Hey, hey, good stuff. Um, I think we better do the um, predictions for the week ahead now. So we start with Arsenal and Liverpool. Uh, how do you think that'll go?
1: Well, if you remember last year, I think Liverpool, when they were in the pump, they got a draw at Arsenal, and I've got a feeling it's going to be another draw, a one-all draw.
0: OK, well, I've written down 2-2, so we're on the same page there. Uh, Villa are playing West Ham, and, of course, it does now look like Grealish should be able to come back onto that one, so what do you think of that one? Uh,
1: are you sure they're playing, though? I thought they were playing Fulham.
0: Yeah, Villa versus Fulham.
1: Oh, sorry, I thought you said West Ham then, sorry, no, no. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. I, I, I don't know. Aston Villa are, are safe now, really. You can't expect them to be in a relegation. Right. Fulham are fighting for their lives. So I'm going to go for a... I don't know whether Grealish is back, but I'm going to go for a Fulham win here.
0: 2-1. OK. Uh, we got Chelsea are playing West Bromwich Albion. Um, Chelsea, they're on this wonderful run at the moment. I can't see West Brom doing much, actually. I'm going to put them down for 3-0.
1: Yeah, I can't disagree with you there. It's uh, they've not they're hardly conceding any goals, and West Brom could not score. You know, whatever happens with West, that West Brom. Uh, I think
0: I think I go along with you. Maybe three 0 That'd be about right. That yeah. Okay, Everton are playing Crystal Palace. Uh, Everton are now likely to get a, a European place of some sorts. I can't really see Palace upsetting the Apple Card. I'm going to go Everton two one.
1: Yeah, uh, each week we talk about Crystal Palace, and I, I go by me because I can't figure them out at all. One minute, they're you, solid at the back and they don't give goals away, and Zaha turns it on at the front. And I think Palace are a little bit better away from them. I'm going to go for a draw here because. Everton are the two teams who have let everybody down because one minute they can be brilliant and the next minute they can be absolute rubbish a pair of them. And that's why I'm going to go for a one-all draw. OK,
0: uh, then we have Leeds taking on Sheffield uh, United. Um, I think this will be an entertaining game. I obviously know that Sheffield are now doomed, as they are. Captain Manning might yeah. be aware. Uh, I'll go for Leeds winning this one 3-2.
1: Yeah, well, I honestly can't see Sheffield United scoring, although Leeds' defence isn't very good. I was talking to my mate yesterday, funnily enough, who was a big Leeds fan, and he said, we've got to beat Sheffield United, you know. I said, blimey, if you don't beat Sheffield United, everybody else has beaten them, why can't you? So he was just a bit worried. It's a bit of a derby game as well, isn't it? But yeah. well, I'm going to go for, uh, I think uh, Leeds will give them a good idea in about 4-4-0, four, four, to tell you the
0: truth. OK, now we come to a high-scoring draw for me because Leicester, who are playing some really, really good football and uh, had a great win over Man, U- Man United, um, they play your team, Man City. I think this will be a fabulous game to watch. I'm going to go for
1: 3-3. Well, it should be a good game. I won't argue much on that one. Uh, I think the big problem now is how many players from Leicester have been away on international duty and how many from Manchester City have been on international duty. We've got to see what happens tomorrow night with England because for the last two games England have played three Manchester City players on the trot and uh, it's not going to help much and I'm pretty sure Guardiola will be looking at that when they get back to training on Thursday. So I'm not quite sure what City team will turn out. But I am confident that whatever team it is, we will beat Leicester. We owe them a good hiding because they're the only team to beat us at our ground this year. When the Amateurs fired two early on, right? Admittedly, they got three penalties. I mean. <laughs> five two is a bit heavy metal, isn't it? You know, for me. So I, I, I'm going to. So we all won one. So I'm just hoping Guardiola, remember to remind the player before they go out that this is one team we need to sort out, and this is the team to do it. Um, let's hope that's what happens. I'm going two non-man set. Okay. <laughs>
0: OK, uh, Manchester United take on Brighton. Um, Manchester United, uh, you know, they're either wonderful or very average. Brighton do play some nice football, but I still think that uh, Manchester United should win this 1-2-1. One, one.
1: Yeah, probably United will be in the same situation as City. We don't know who's going to be playing in these games. You know, I mean, Rashford has been injured, so he's not been involved with the England set-up. But the other lads have like Maguire and the, the Shaw now is in the England set-up. And I think they'll both play on Wednesday. Uh, I just got the feeling, I, I don't know what it is, I, I just like watching Brighton play, but I feel as though I wish I could buy them a centre-forward and stick somebody up front so they can yeah. finish off the great football that they play. But I've got a feeling United will win this one 1-0.
0: OK, Newcastle take on Tottenham. And really, uh, Tottenham should go up and win about 3-0. Having said that, you don't know with Newcastle United. Sometimes, you know, you'll just get a little bit more of a tougher game. But I still think Spurs should win this one 3-0.
1: Yeah, well, I think the only chance Newcastle would have of saving themselves this year is if they got the crowd back tomorrow. You know, because as far as I'm concerned, they're going downhill fast. They have got some good players, but even the good players are injured at the moment. So that's not helping. But I I think it will be a big win for Tottenham. I think that'll be about three. I'd go along with you there, three none.
0: Okay. Um, Southampton at home aren't as good as they are on the road. Burnley are one of these teams that they flatter to deceive. Sometimes you think they're going to be... Uh, you know, top six material, and then they just slip back into their own ways. I think this will be a, a quite a good draw. I'll go for about a 2-2 draw on this one.
1: Well, I'm going to go with you on the draw, but I'm going to go for 0-0 because... Uh... At the moment, unless Danny Ings is back, I, I can't see Southampton scoring and I can't really see Burnley scoring because he's two fairly tough defensive whole team. And so I'm going to go for a 0-0. I, I will be a draw and so we agree on that.
0: OK, and Wolves host West Haim. Now, uh, West Haim, they flatter again. They, they flatter, but they do produce the goods every now and again. Wolves look like they're beginning to come good, so I can see this one being a 2-2 draw as well.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting game this one, this is probably one of the most difficult to decide on because as you just said, West Ham last week they gave a three goal, the three and up against Arsenal and finished up three all, uh, which is something West Ham did at Tottenham early on in season, believe. Yes, I remember that. And, uh, so it's a high scoring game. Uh, Wolves I'm just not too sure about Wolves. Uh, they have been playing a lot better recently, and we jotter not jotter up front. The other lad, uh, Neto, is it? Name, yeah, you know he's a good Neto. That's his name. Yeah. You know he's a very dangerous player, and uh, I don't know. I'm going to go for a draw like you there. <laughs> I don't actually agree with you all the time. we be the Liverpool fans, <laughs> but. Uh, I fancy it to be a draw, one
0: all draw Don't forget we're football fans first Um, you know, that's why sometimes I I find it very difficult uh, to to make the prediction especially if I think that my team's not going to do as well as I want them to do, but anyway uh, just about um, another three minutes, we can just quickly recap on England's game against San Marino Um, we both put down, I put down six, you put, uh, no I put down five you put down six, so we got that one right, Albania uh, you thought they'd win about 4-1 I thought they'd win 3-0 uh, but they weren't as convincing but there was no danger of them losing that game the big one coming up is England versus Poland now I do feel that that'll be a bit closer and I think um, I've, I've predicted 2-1 are you still staying with 3-1? Yeah, I
1: mean even more so now because is not playing you know their top player and goal scorer uh, I think it's made it a lot easier for England at least you don't have to worry about that lad who is probably the top scorer in in Europe, being truthful about Lewandowski. Uh, anyway, I just fancy, yeah, I, I want to stick with my 3-1 there for England on Wednesday night. Yeah. Uh, England, we don't know what team to get selected these days, do we? You know, but that would be a difficult problem we might have to think about for next week picking an England team for the <laughs> World Cup or for the Knockout Cup yeah. so it might be worth a look at
0: that one OK, um, we started talking about Jack Charlton and his influence over the Republic of Ireland football team and one result that I did pick up uh, was the Republic of Ireland lost to Luxembourg 1-0 uh, that really is not good, uh, You'd would you'd expect them to win that one wouldn't you?
1: And it's sad when you look at Republic of Ireland, how they've been over the years, but in, in a lot of ways, Jack Charlton brought the spirit to the club, you know, to the team, and got them all going and pulling for one another. And Mick McCarthy did a pretty a, a good job, the same thing after Jack. Yeah. Um, and then we had the trouble with Roy Keane falling out because the IRFA... You know, I a picture crap hotel where he was staying. And yes, Roy team was used to staying at top hotels, in Manchester United and stuff like that. Which it it, it started the the demise of the Republic of Ireland football, in my opinion. That time when and then Mick McCarthy's left, and the lads he'd been bringing in haven't been really the kind to build a, a team like. Old, gather a team spirit the way Jack Charlton did and even Mick McCarthy I thought Mick McCarthy did well but Roy Keane broke it all up didn't he until he, he went part of the management team with Martin O'Neill and then he started to build up again and, and now they've gone back down the drain in my opinion it's a bit sad really but I think they're suffering from the fact that young kids today have got all these mach- games machines what they have And whereas in Ireland at one time playing football was a key thing, like rugby, you know, Yeah. and I think now it's beginning to reach that level whereby the young kids are not coming through. And unless somebody gets picked up from a club in England and and looked after, which is highly unlikely because uh, nowadays, if you can remember George Best and when Norman Whiteside and people like that come over from Ireland, they put them in digs right away kind of thing. Yeah. But it was all older players, if you come on and start on, like I mentioned the other week, 15 and 16 they just got picked up like. Nowadays he's picking kids up at an 8-year-old and 9-year-old. So it, it's completely changed the older situation. So I've got the feeling Ireland are suffering from it, you know. Whereas from Wales are going the other way. Wales are getting some good young players through.
0: Yeah. And, and okay, well Eric,
1: or not, you know.
0: uh, you've Brought that nicely to within 10 seconds of the hour, which is great. Uh, Timekeeping has been wonderful. Uh, Keep yourself nice and healthy. And as always, it's a pleasure going over some of the old uh, names and looking at some of the old games.
1: Great, Sophia. Well done, Vince. Cheers, mate. Cheers, Eric. Thank you.